Good to have all of you guys here. My name's Josh. If you're new with us, I'm the preaching pastor here at Living Waters, and we're so thankful to see all of you guys this morning. So it's good to see your faces. <laughs> After seven months of dark theater worship, I can now see your glorious faces. Amen? Amen. So, so glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, if you have a copy of God's Word, 1 Peter 5 is where we're going to be. And I'm excited to be back in Tent Church. So I know that your eyes are going to go here, there, and everywhere. So I'm already ready for it. I'm excited about it. And my sermon is shorter. Amen? Okay. So 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're just going to be looking at the first five verses. 1 Peter 5. And the question is this, do you need some encouragement this morning? Yeah, all of us do. So I think if we're all honest, we all need some encouragement. And have you ever had somebody step into your life and give you a real strong encouragement or a word of encouragement that really carried you for a while? Um, I know when I was dating Danielle, this is many years ago, we were dating, uh, our relationship had gone through a little bit of a stretch of trial in which I was stupid and she was godly, amen? And so that's how that went. And so we were at a really crucial point in our relationship. Are we going to get married? Are we not going to get married? We're thinking these th things through. And there was a mentor who came and found us right before this, this church service that we were at. And I'll never forget his exhortation of encouragement to Danielle and I, that he saw God's hand on our lives and in our relationship. And I remember we were up front next to the stage of this worship gathering, and I remember him praying over us. This was before the service even started. And I remember that to this day, was, that was almost, uh, would have been almost 18 years ago. I still remember it as a catapult moment where I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, you're the woman I'm meant to be with. And she said, I guess, you know, like, <laughs> I still remember that. But sometimes we just need some encouragement in life and God is good when he brings it to us. And so the word encouragement uh, the word encouragement is a 15th century French word. That's the etymology behind the word encourage. And it means to make strong or to hearten or to give heart to somebody. And so in verse 1, if you look with me in 1 Peter 5, 1, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. Now the word exhort, that's the word encourage. I encourage the elders among you as a fellow elder. So that word means to come alongside of and give strength in the Greek. And so Peter is handing out strengthening encouragement to the pastors of the region that he is, he is reaching out to in the Roman Empire, plus the congregation. He wants to encourage the congregation. And then he also wants to encourage both pastor and congregation about the future. And so uh, we hunger and thirst for encouragement. We, we live off of encouragement. And that's what Peter's going to give us this morning. 
And so when a church is encouraged, right, which I hope you are this morning, when a church is encouraged and joyful in Jesus, it has huge ramifications for families, for neighborhoods, for society. And, and when we walk through trials and tribulation for, for our suffering for Jesus, we get a little narrow-minded. Have you ever been there before? Where your focus narrows in on your suffering and you don't see the big picture anymore and all you can focus in is on yourself and you need a mentor, you need Jesus sometimes to come into your life and say, hey, life's not all about you. Life is about God and his truth. And in the midst of your trial, I want to encourage you and strengthen you to be bigger in your vision of what's going on and God is good and he's going to carry you through. Praise God for those moments. So Peter says, I exhort you. And he's exhorting the elders among you. And he says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, Peter identified himself in verse 1 as a fellow elder. And that's the understatement of the year, right? The apostle Peter is the chief leader of the church. He and Paul are the two apostles that you look to and say, these are the CEOs, these are the big guys that lead the church. And Peter is so humble in his introduction. He's like, elders, I'm talking to you as a CEO, as an apostle supreme. He doesn't call them minions, does he? No, he says, I'm exhorting you as a fellow elder. I'm on your side. I'm on the same playing field as you, which shows us Peter's humility. Peter also said I, that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you see that? And it says that, that that word witness is where we get our word martyr, which means spectator. And so Peter saw the sufferings of Jesus. Do you remember where he was? He was in the high priest's court in the Gospels. You can read about it. And he's there and he's watching all of it happen and Jesus is getting punched in the face and he's getting his he's getting abused and mocked and slapped and spit upon and do you remember where Peter's at he's watching all of that and he gets confronted around this little fire by this little slave girl who says aren't you a follower of Jesus and he said I never knew that guy yet he's watching Jesus suffer about ready to go to the cross and remember he denies Christ three times and Jesus looks him straight in the eye and he starts weeping bitterly and he runs. That's also humility. You know, Peter is not afraid to talk about his mistakes. Are you, Christian? Are you afraid to talk about your mistakes and what you've done wrong? Peter wasn't. Now, Peter received encouragement from Jesus in John 21 uh, restorative encouragement. You right, might remember the scene on the beach where, where Peter is sitting there with the other disciples and Jesus had made them breakfast and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him that three times and Peter's like, oh, you're killing me, Lord. Asking me three times if I love you. Of course I love you. And he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Remember that? So Peter has received the encouragement of Jesus in his life. Now he's passing along that encouragement to other people. Now, Here's just something to think about, a pastoral word for you guys. If you have been encouraged by Jesus or by a mentor in your life, you'd better be ready to be the giver at some point in your life. You've been the recipient, right? And by God's grace, you are, you've, you've made it through your trial. 
hey, God's preparing you to be the minister in the next situation. So church, can you get ready for that? You've received encouragement. Let's be ready to give encouragement. Okay, pastoral note taken. Here we go. Peter's going to give us three encouragements this morning. Three encouragements. One encouragement is for the pastors of the churches. One encouragement is for the congregation of the churches. And then finally, he's going to give us an encouragement about the future. So first encouragement, an encouragement to pastors, verses 2 through 4. Look with me in verse 2. Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those over your charge, but being examples to the flock. So Peter is encouraging the pastors. Now, what in the world is a pastor anyway? A pastor, according to Peter, is a shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God among you. So the main job of a shepherd is to feed and protect. To feed the flock and protect the flock. So Peter is saying, hey, pastors, I want you guys to listen up. Everybody's going through a hard time. Everybody's going through persecution. I want you to pastor the flock of God that is among you, which means that you are mainly responsible, pastors, to feed the word of God into the lives of the sheep that you are giving oversight to. You're also supposed to protect those sheep, and you need to do that even at the cost of your own life. So, Peter is telling the pastors to shepherd, which means pastors must be word-driven men. Can I get a witness? Huh? Your pastors need to be word-driven men. So if your pastor isn't word-driven, all right, you, you better be looking for a new pastor, right? Because... The only thing that a pastor is called to do is to feed the flock and protect from the bad, right? So I thank God for the pastors here at Living Waters because we have a group of pastors that love the Bible, amen? Praise God for that. That is a wonderful thing and may it ever be true that all of our pastors love the Bible and want to give the Bible to you and then also care enough to correct you in the Bible when bad doctrine comes your way. Okay, so a good pastor not only gives the word of God to people, but if there is false teaching going on, a good pastor will listen to you to say, hey, I really like this pat preacher, I really like this sermon, I really like this book. But if it doesn't carry the word of God with it and the truth of God, a good pastor with grace will pull you aside and say, hey, I know you're really into so-and-so, but so-and-so doesn't always stand with Jesus. So you need to maybe stay with Jesus, right? And a good pastor will protect you from bad doctrine. So a shepherd is some, someone who feeds the word of God to someone and protects from bad doctrine. Now, did you know God is a shepherd? Did you know this? Yeah, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my what class? shepherd, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. What is that? That is leading the flock to good food, right? He makes me lie down beside quiet waters, all right? That, that's leading the flock to a good place of rest. So if Pastor Andy has an idea for you to take a nap, take a nap, amen? He's leading you beside quiet waters. That's a good thing. And then his rod and his staff comfort me. That's the protection piece. So 
That's what a pastor is. How does a pastor pastor? Right? Have you ever thought of that? Like, how is a pastor supposed to pastor? How does that happen? Peter gives us three main ideas of how a pastor is supposed to pastor. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Do you see it there? Not under compulsion, but willingly. This means not forced. A pastor should not be forced to pastor. A pastor should pastor because they volunteer to pastor. They should love it, right? Pastors should not treat their people like taxes, amen? Y'all get what I'm saying? A pastor should not treat their people as if they are a duty to be done, taxes, or a job that they hate. A pastor should love their people. A pastor should love the people that they pastor, and pastoring should not be a have to, it should be a get to, amen? Pastoring should be a get to. Now, that's how you pastor. How else? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Pastoring is not to be money driven. Can I get an amen? If you're in the ministry for money, <laughs> y'all need your head examined if you're in the ministry for money. Okay, and this is a concern that I have in the greater pastor conversation in our American society today. A lot of pastors seem to be eager to get into ministry, to write books, and to be popular. Pastoring is not about being a celebrity. Pastoring is about smelling like sheep. Amen? Pastors should be eager, not literally, not literally, not real sheep. But pastors should be eager to not get in it for the money. Pastors should be eager to connect with people, talk with people, pray with people. That should be the desire of every pastor that is worth his weight in, in gold, right? So a pastor should come to church not hoping that he gets rich. He should come to church hoping he can connect with the flock, amen? Like hopefully there's a conversation Hopefully a pastor can come and say, I talked to this person, I prayed with this person, I, I eagerly encouraged this person. And if a pastor comes to church and leaves church without doing those things, a biblical pastor should be disappointed in his mourning. So, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You should want it. How else should pastors pastor? They should not domineer over those in their charge, but be examples to the flock. Pastors should not be controlling. They should not be manipulative of their flock. They shouldn't be power-hungry, power-seekers. Pastors should be driven by setting an example to the flock. Now, I'm the first person to tell you that I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful pastor. All of our pastors have sinned, so we're all in progress of being sanctified by Jesus. So if you look to us for perfection, you're going to be constantly disappointed. Can I get a witness? Constantly. But we don't, we're not supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to be setting a servant-hearted example for the flock. And the Greek word for example there is literally imprint. The pastors should be eager to imprint themselves onto the hearts of the people that they lead, not driving them like slaves, but leading them as examples. 
So just to illustrate this, my, my brother, Jason Gerwell, some of you know him, some of you don't. He's the lead pastor of one of our sister churches, Redeemer Church in Winterset, Iowa. He's my friend. He's my brother. Um, Jason reached out yesterday to let me know and, and the engaged pastors know that a deacon in his church had died yesterday. This deacon was mowing his grass and his mower slipped down a hill into a pond and pinned this man under the water and he drowned. So we have wept with our brother Jason. You can pray for Jason. Amen. You can pray for our sister church, Redeemer, as they worship together this morning after a tragedy. What's Jason trying to do this morning? By the way, did I mention that his oldest daughter was graduating from the University of Iowa this weekend? Can you imagine what our brother's going through this morning? What's he trying to do? He's got a lot going on in his life. Well, I know Jason. He's a shepherd after Jesus' heart. He's going to imprint his heart to his congregation this morning. And praise God for that. There's been many mornings at Living Waters where I've had to imprint my heart into this church, not because I want to drive anybody like a slave, but because I want to show you that life is really important. Jesus is really important, and for us to do life together is so important. So a pastor is not to be domineering, he's to be an example. So you might be asking me like, Pastor, Hey, get a clue, man. I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm a congregation member. I'm a person. I'm a regular attender. I'm a visitor. You're talking to like six people under this tent, dude. <laughs> Here's some quick tips for the congregation, okay, as you interact with your pastors. First of all, if you're a congregation person, you're like, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't dream about being a pastor. I'm never going to be a pastor. Here's what you can do. Pray for your pastors to fulfill their ministry like Peter's talking about. We need your prayers, church. I mean, our, your pastors need and covet your prayers all the time. So if you, if you can do anything, pray for your pastors. Um, secondly, encourage your pastors when you see them shepherding in this way. When you see something good happening with one of our pastors, you know what you should do? Go find them, give them a fist bump, say, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. Praise God for you. Because sometimes pastoring feels like being the quarterback for the football team. You know, you get, all the, you get all the glory when things go well, and you get all the blame when things don't. And there's no real in-between for a pastor, so if you give a pastor a fist bump, you're probably saving his day, honestly. Thirdly, if you have a pastor who's eager to shepherd you, you should enjoy that experience. Because not every pastor cares. Not every church cares to have pastors who care. I'm just telling you, if you have a pastor who wants to get with you, pray with you, counsel with you, encourage you, pour into your life, you should enjoy that experience to the glory of God. And finally, if you're a younger man, you should aspire to this. 
This list is for you to aspire to. You should want this. You should desire this. So encouragement number one is for pastors. Peter's second encouragement is for the congregation. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves all with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So what does a congregation do that they may receive the encouragement of Peter? Well, they need to be submissive to their pastors as much as they can, right? It says there, be submissive to your elders. So as much as the pastors are walking with Jesus, you should submit yourself to that pastoring. Why? Because Hebrews 13, 17 says that if you submit to your pastors, it's going to be joyful for them, joyful for you. So if you want a win-win situation in a local church, Submit to your pastors, it'll make them more joyful, and in return, it'll make you more joyful because everybody is walking in step. So he broadens it out even more, and he says, clothe yourselves with humility, or wear humility like a garment. Okay, so you can get a picture of this during tent church. I have an extra layer on today. I was hopeful to take this layer off and preach in, you know, a short sleeve shirt, That almost turned bad. (laughs) Come on, mouth. Don't fail me now. (laughs) But a church is supposed to carry humility like a garment, right? You're supposed to clothe yourself with humility, which means a church that is voluntarily humble is a great church to be a part of, right? Because you're going to walk around... And humility comes with it many, many blessings. If you're around a church that's humble, it's awesome to be a part of. Because nobody's got their nose up in the air. Nobody's too good for one another. Everybody's down with each other in Christ. And that's a beautiful place to be. John Calvin said this about God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble. He says, we are to imagine God with two hands. In one hand, God has a hammer, and he is constantly smashing down all humans who exalt themselves against his glory. Get in the picture? And he said, in the other hand, God is also exalting those and graciously lifting up those who are humbling themselves before him. So if you can picture that word picture John Calvin gave, it is a smashing of pride And God is lifting up those who are humble. So congregation, how do you know if you are a humble church or not? Well, humility has marks. There are marks of humility. If we're going to be a humble church and receive encouragement this morning from Peter, humility looks like this. It looks like joy in God. If you're joyful in God, that's that's humility. Humility, some of you might think humility is going to a dark room and hitting yourself or thinking bad thoughts about yourself. That is not humility at all. That's dangerous. Humility is joy. Humility is knowing God, loving God, trusting his promises. Humility looks like prayer in a church. Can I get a witness? If we're a praying church, that's a humble church. The Bible says we are to pray without ceasing. How are you doing with that? Humility looks like never forgetting your testimony and how God saved you. 
Psalm 66, 16, a great humble church always remembers I was a wicked sinner and Jesus saved my soul. Amen? That's a good church. So the encouragement for the church is to embrace humility. And by God's grace, we will. And finally, the third encouragement is this, encouragement for the future. And this is found in verse 1 and verse 4. So Peter says, as well as the partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Okay, and if you skip down to verse 4, Peter also says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter gives encouragement for the future by pushing our eyes toward this partaking in future glory and getting this crown that is unfading. So let's just start with the partaker. Peter says that he himself is going to be a partaker in the future of glory. And then he says to the pastors, you're also going to join me in this. And then he says to the congregation, you will also be in this as well. Now, what is this future glory that we talk about? Well, we'll get there. What's the present glory that we love? We love glory, don't we? we? We seek out glory all the time in the here and now. We seek out glory all the time. Here's some examples. The glory of the Rocky Mountains. Can I get a Rocky Mountains amen? Oh man, if you've been to the Rocky Mountains, right? You know what that's like. You get on these scenic overlooks and you look across this great chasm of space and you see beauty. So much beauty that you're just like, this is amazing. I'm so glad I spent half of my life savings to come to Colorado. So grateful. Because it's worth the glory moment, right? You just, you just worship these huge, massive, beautiful mountains that God made. How about the glory of a paid off church building? Can I get an amen? Man, you know. That has some glory to it, to know that all the concrete is paid for. Praise God. <laughs> to know that the building, we don't owe one dime on this building behind me. Praise God. That, that, that's glorious. It, it just makes you feel, yeah. <laughs> makes you feel good. Hey, keep your hands warm. Keep your hands warm. What about the glory of a sold Army Post property? Amen? Wow. So if that didn't encourage you yesterday, uh, you need to check your pulse and whether you know Jesus or not, okay? You need to check both of those things. But when, when Cole let our elders know that, hey, we're going to close and it's really going to happen and things are really going to happen, 255000 net dollars going into this building behind me, that's glory, right? It's like this moment of worship and euphoria and joy and you don't program how you respond in that moment, you just respond, what about the glory of a state qualifying track team four by eight relay, huh? It's pretty glorious. I might know one of the runners on the, on the relay, but when they qualified for state, it was like this euphoric moment, right? And it wasn't during the race because they didn't get a good enough time to qualify automatically. So it was like, ah, oh, they ran their race. Oh, pretty good race, right? But it was the next day when you found out you qualified as an at-large team, there's glory there. It's awesome. Here's the deal. 
Peter says that we will be partakers in the glory of the age to come. None of the things I just talked to you about can compare to the glory that is coming to you and me who are in Christ Jesus. We're not just going to like passively observe the glory of Jesus' kingdom. We will be partakers in it. Amen? There is a day coming when we will receive an unfading crown of glory. And this, this crown refers to a, not a gold crown, don't get like, don't get the gold crown in your minds. Put a wreath with flowers in your minds. You're like, dude, that's way less manly than what I was thinking. It's a wreath in the Greek. It's a wreath that you get when you run a race. And it's studded with flowers because you won the race. That is the, the unfading crown. The crown is a wreath with flowers in it. And what Peter is saying is that the flowers are never going to fade away. The crown you get from Jesus Christ will never fade away. And you'll partake in his glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the beauty of being a Christ follower. We have something so eternal coming our way that right now we can't even begin to fathom it. Our trophies, what happens to them? They rust. They go in cardboard boxes. And then they go to attics all over the United States, don't they? What happens to the ribbons that we all get? We lose them. We throw them away. We burn them. Something happens to them, right? Or grandma and grandpa hang them up on their walls forever and always. All the stuff that we do fades. The new cars fade. The new houses fade. This building will fade. All of it fades except for one thing. There will be a crown of glory when Jesus returns that will never fade away for all eternity. So when Jesus returns, let's say all of us die. Let's say Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime. We all die six feet under, every one of us. Christ returns. What's going to happen? Because we are in Christ, we will resurrect from the ground. And we will have bodies that are glorified. Can I get a healthy amen? Perfect health. And we will have minds that are perfect and unfading forever and always. Have you, have you cursed your mind this week at all? Anybody done that? Where your mind just fades? Like, I was going to remember to do that thing, but I can't remember because I'm getting older. Does that happen? And, you, and you're just like, everything's fading. My body's fading. My mind's fading. My life is fading. Everything's fading away. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus will resurrect us from the dead, never to fade again. Amen? And we will rule and reign forever. So, that's how we endure persecution for the name of Jesus now. Whatever they do to our body in this life, it's fine. Do whatever you need to do. Because I'm going to glory. When believers pass away, they're going to glory. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, said this. He said, what is ahead of us is far, far better than what we leave behind. 
So we endure persecution in this life. We grow in grace. We give up some of our schedules so that we can serve Jesus, love Jesus, know Jesus. We do all of that because we as Christians are banking on the fact that there will be a glorious future resurrection from the dead where we will reign with Christ. And in Christ, I'll see you again. Amen? And you'll see me again. And we'll see each other in glorious, glorious appearance. That's encouraging. And if you don't find that encouraging, read the text again this afternoon and meditate a little bit and you'll be encouraged. So we need encouragement this morning and God has delivered time and time again in Jesus. He encourages pastors. Pastors, take heart. God is good. Keep sowing the word of God into this congregation. Keep sharing the word of God. Keep protecting from false doctrine. Keep doing it. Congregations, keep walking in humility. The more we walk in humility, the more glory goes to Jesus. And the more miracles Jesus does in our lives. And then know that we have a bright, eternal future called heaven. It's going to make this building pale in comparison. As excited as we are to get in there, the glory of heaven will be greater. The glory of the new earth will be greater. And that's our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to speak to us this morning through your word. Lord, I pray that people would be encouraged this morning by the Apostle Peter who gave us such great, hopeful things to think about this morning. I pray for our pastors. Encourage them, God. Strengthen them. Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask that they would stay faithful to your word, faithful to the gospel. Lord, encourage their hearts to be men of God. I pray, Lord, for our congregation. We love them. We would die for them. We would do whatever we have to do to serve them. Would you encourage them, God? You're doing some miracles right now in our church. It's amazing. Lord, you're also pulling people through some really deep waters. There's trials and tribulations. There's big joy mountain things going on. There's valleys as well. God, encourage our congregation to stay humble, that you might lift them up and pour your grace out on them. And God, give us all a future hope of the resurrection. Lord, we're going to be partaking with the Apostle Peter in glory someday. God, give us a, a hope that we can get through anything. We can overcome any addiction, any sin, any shortcoming. We can overcome it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, our future home awaits. So give us hope. God, minister to us. Help us to respond to you by your spirit. In Jesus' name.